Katie's family faced a tough decision last year. Both parents needed to work to support the family, but who would watch Katie? So she went home alone for longer than they would have liked. But is there another way? Imagine if our church was a place where Katie could be supported, tutored, and cared for after school. While the after school program would be a great setting for Katie, her older brother, a high school junior, and sister, a freshman, have a place to grow and develop new relationships while learning new skills in athletics and the arts. As Katie and her siblings are finishing up their afternoon, Mr. and Mrs. Russell spend some time together in the cafe, just the two of them, before they pick up the kids. Mrs. Russell's parents, who live just down the street, got connected to the church through new ministries to senior adults. Once Katie's dad found his way into a huddle, God got a hold of his life. Someone talked him through discovering his gifts and passions and helped Mr. Russell get plugged into serving in the kitchen every week, preparing meals that are served to the city's homeless and elderly, doing a good deed and sharing a good word. This coming summer, the Russell family sensed God's call on their lives to serve and give back all over the world. Mr. Russell will join an international mission team through the church's new international partnership. And later in the summer, the whole family will have a chance to serve together through the church's regional mission emphasis. Jack plays music on the weekends with his music ensemble, taking the arts to the community. Through advances in technology, Mrs. Russell doesn't have to miss her huddle's prayer time while she's out of town on business. Imagine. All right, vision. snapshot. Vision 2020. How many of you remember that? How many of you that is brand new to you? You've never seen that before. Excellent. So uh, for those of you that are guests or new with us, um, 10 years ago, there was a group of people, part of Gaten, that had a vision. They believed God had called them to do something here in the West End. Uh, we had a place, we had a building, but we felt like God had a greater calling. This is before I was even here. And they felt that a gym, a, a, a place where people could be invited in would be great for, for sports and reaching out to people through sports. A cafe would be a great place for people to connect and build relationships. And so uh, Vision 2020 was birthed. And as you see today, as you walk through our building, you've seen the fruition of Vision 2020. We're here. Today is the, the first Sunday of 2020. And many of these things have been accomplished and so this morning, as we gather here in this room together, we're part of something God established 2,000 years ago, but even 10 years ago, God began to do even a greater work within us as a, as a body, as a family. And now, now we look to the future. What do the next five years hold for Gaten? What do the next five years hold for you and your family and your life? And so it's a new start. It's, it's continuing on, but it's also fresh, new. And I'm hoping you're excited because the potential is great. The future is great. Why? Because God's in charge, right? And we can trust him and he is good. And so this morning, as we begin this series, Vision 2025, as we look to the next five years, and we talk not just about our church, but as, as families, as, as coworkers, as students, uh, wherever you find your journey, your story right now, uh, we want to look and see what does God have for us, what is God saying to us, and, and where do I live out my faith within uh, the plans he has for me for the next five years. The word devote 
means to concentrate on a particular pursuit, occupation, purpose, or cause. This morning, many of us have made New Year's resolutions, and they seem to be similar every year, right? I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to make better choices. And so we start these resolutions because we want to be devoted to them. We want to make them part of our lifestyle. And then uh, January comes and goes, and then February comes and goes. And what happens typically to our, our resolutions? They come and go, right? How many of you have the same resolution this year as you had last year? How many of you had the same resolution for the last five years, the last 10 years? That resolution seems to be lose weight, stop spending so much money. Whatever it is, it seems to be the same thing every year. And it can be disappointing that I have to start this over again. And I know I'm only going to make it like a day. <laughs> and so um, this morning, as we think about resolutions, we think about what are we going to be devoted to this year, the next five years. I want to be honest and I want to be open to what God has for us. What is he saying to us? And I think what happens, and, and maybe you agree with me, that after a couple months, we fall back into our wiring, how God made us. And God made us individuals. He made us all different. And we have wiring. And I think that we become devoted to the things that God gives us passions for right? We tend to be devoted for the things God gives us passions for. So this morning, maybe you have passion and you want to nurture people. You, you see your, your life as taking care of your children, taking care of um, the people at your work, taking care of students, um, taking care of your parents. And so as you come into the new year, you're devoted to these things. You're devoted to nurturing these people that God has put in your life. And, and this is what you naturally devote yourself to. Possibly this morning, you're creative. You're a creative person, and you're devoting yourself to new ideas for the new year. You're devoting yourself um, to come up with new ways of doing things uh, because you are wired to be creative. Maybe you are a guardian, right? And you are wired to protect the, the, to protect the system, protect the structure. And this morning, um, you, are, you are saying, we need to do more hymns right? Um, you are guardian. You want to guard the traditions. You want to guard the things that have gotten us here. You are guarding, and this is, is a good thing, right? You want to protect the things that are healthy and are good. And so you are, you're, you're, your natural wiring leads you to a place where you're devoted to protecting and maintaining, Maybe you're devoted to connecting. You're like me. This is where I would put myself. You want to network in the new year. You want to meet new people. You want to engage and make new friendships and, and, and build new relationships and, and allow people to come together so that they can benefit each other. And, and you know, this person has this thing over here and this person has this thing over here. If I could just get them together, um, that would work out great, right? And maybe that's how God wires you, that you're more of a connecting person. Or maybe you're a pioneer, and you can plan out the next five to 10 years. And, and you're always thinking about what's going to be. When I said vision 2025, you're like, I'm already thinking about the next five years. I've already been thinking about this upcoming year. I'm already thinking about what needs to be done and what could be and what I can do. We all have this wiring. And we're all devoted to these things. And I think over time, we either intentionally or unintentionally live into them. And this morning... My question is, what is worth your devotion? 
What is worth your devotion? Because here's the bigger question in, in each one of these areas. What can you do alone? If you're a nurturer, if you're a creative person, if you're, what can you do as a single person? What can you do alone? And what will that ultimately achieve? What can I do alone? What can you do alone? And if I continue to do it alone, what will I ultimately achieve? What will I achieve? What will you achieve? So before we pray, before we proceed God's word with prayer, I want everyone to take a deep breath. Release that breath. I want you to close your eyes. I just went through a list of possible things that would describe you. You know you better than I know you. You know you better than probably anyone else. What would you say you're devoted to? What are you devoted to? How has God made you? How has he wired you? Father God, we are so grateful for today. We know that you are holy. And Lord, we know that you are the creator. We know that you created us uniquely on purpose. And so Lord, we ask that within that creation, within being our creator, that your will would be done. That Lord, we would know in our hearts and our minds, what your will is so that we can follow it. Lord, this morning I pray that you would give us exactly what we need as we come off of a time of holiday, off of a time of, of family, friends, and maybe even a time of, of sorrow or joy. I pray, Lord, that you would give us today, this first Sunday of a new year, this first Sunday of 2020 years after your life uh, here on earth, Lord, I pray that you would give us what we need. And Lord, I pray that as we think about our purpose, we think about um, what motivates us, what we're devoted to. Lord, I pray that you would begin to plant seeds in our mind, that you would continue to grow those seeds that may already be in our mind. And Lord, that you would direct our path and that we would understand that you are gracious and forgiving, even though maybe we haven't lived up to it, maybe we've gotten off the path, Lord, that you are forgiving, and help us, Lord, to be forgiving. And Lord, as we do go down the path of life, and we start a new year, maybe a new chapter, new opportunities, new, new, new challenges uh, for a new year, Lord, I pray that you would protect us. Help us, Lord. We need your help. We need your guidance. We need your wisdom. We need your peace. We need your understanding. And so I ask for these things in your name. You, you tell us to do that, and so I'm doing that, Lord. I'm asking you, please give us wisdom. Please give us discernment. And Lord, help us never to forget where our path is leading, that your kingdom is coming, that we're on a path to you. And Lord, I pray that we would never forget that yours is, is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this time, make your words resound in our hearts, speak to our souls, and help us to know truth so that we may live in it. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. It'll be on the screens. And it'll also, if you have a Bible, if you want to turn there, you can follow along. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you one. 
As I say every week, and I think this is so important, this is a new year. Maybe you're going to start a new commitment to reading God's Word. Through, I think it's an amazing thing. I do it every year, is reading through the Bible over a year period. And maybe you're starting that this week. You've started it as you begin this new year of 2020. I think a very helpful tool anytime you read the Bible, because it can be confusing. It can, be, um, it can seem distant or, or, or uh, outside of our cultural norms is to learn the context. Understanding the context of a passage is so important. And so as we look at Acts, um, to give you some context this morning, so maybe it, it makes a little bit more sense, is Acts was written by Luke. Luke also wrote one of the Gospels, and Luke was commissioned. He was paid to do this as a way for us to have eyewitness accounts of very important uh, historical events that took place. And so Luke... He goes, he is, he's a professional, we know he's a physician, we know that he is well-educated. His job was to take clear, uh, crisp uh, eyewitness accounts and record them for us today. And so what he did in the book of Luke was, was give us the account of Jesus' life so that we could have a very detailed look at what Jesus' life was. And then he writes the book of Acts, which gives us a very detailed look of what the church looked like when it started. And so this morning we're going to look at Acts. This is the book that tells us how the church began and how it had grown to become what it is today. And so what I want you to think about, and this is a big thought, what I want you to think about is Jesus was here with 12 disciples. He was, he was dead on a cross. He was buried. He rose again. And he sent his 12 out to begin his church. And when he was still on the earth, he told Peter, I'm going to start this thing. It's, it's, it's a church, the, the Greek word ekklosia. This is my mission. My mission is I want you to go into the world and tell everyone that there is hope, the gospel, the good news. Yes, you are lost. You are condemned in your sins. You're separated from God forever. Because of what I've done on the cross and raised from the grave, there is good news. I want you to share it with the whole world. I want you to share this with the whole world. And the way I will do this, the way I will do this is I want you to start what I want you to call the church. The called out, those that are on mission, the ecclesia. And this mission is for, for them to gather, to hear these words, this good news, to study this good news, and to share this good news. And so he gives this to them, and, and this is the, the, the book of Acts is recording. Now this has begun. We're told that they meet in a church-like setting. It's a room, and they're praying, and all of a sudden, uh, it's called Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls on them, and they begin to speak in tongues, and then everyone's saying, what's going on? And this is the beginning of what we're a part of today. So it started with 12 of, of Jesus' disciples, and then it moved on to a couple hundred people were told in the beginning of Acts, and then we're told at uh, this place that 3,000 people joined the church, and then later we're told that 5,000 men joined the church, and so men have wives typically and children, and then we're told that it is a multitude that cannot be counted. All right, so this mission that Jesus plants, he calls it his church, it grows and grows and grows, and today... There's about 3 billion people that will gather in what we would call church. Not the place, but the movement. 3 billion people. We are part of them. Right now, we are the continuation we are connected to. Is there any other organization, is there anything else in your life that you're connected to that references back 2,000 years ago that now 3 billion people on the planet organize themselves to discuss and to consider? 
That is what we are talking about. That is why Luke recorded this for us, is because today, this is the fruition, this is the the continuation of what we're about to read about. This is the continuation. We are the proof. We are what was the fruit of this labor. And so let's look at it. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Here's what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And so Luke breaks this up into three very important categories. First, he talks that they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Remember, we talked about in the beginning, devoting yourself is is a big deal. It's, It's what you give yourself to. It's what we naturally fall into with how we're wired. We devote ourselves to things. Well, they were devoted. This group of people were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to know God's word. The apostles, an apostle, the word... Is, is, is categorized for someone who walked with Jesus, who listened to Jesus, who lived with Jesus, and could accurately give us his uh, witness, his account of what he said and did. And so here we have these apostles' teaching. We still have this account. We call it the New Testament. And so what they did in the very first church, the very first gathering, was they gathered together and they, they studied and they talked about these words that God had given to the apostles for us to know. So we can know God, we can know salvation, and we can know how to live our lives. Secondly, we see that they had fellowship and breaking of bread. They wanted to know God's family. First, there was this this value of hearing from God and knowing what God has to say about things. Then there was this value of getting together in each other's houses and getting to know each other. They did not have Outback Steakhouse, right? They did not have whatever restaurant you like to go to and hang out with people and get to know them. They had homes and they had bread and they broke the bread And they talked. And what did they talk about? They talked about how God was living in their life. They talked about their job. They talked about their stress. They talked about their success. They talked about their wins. They talked about their losses. They talked about their kids. They talked about their grandkids. They sat around a table and they got to know each other. And so the first church, the church that's right after Jesus' ascension into heaven, the church that Peter and Paul are establishing, they they establish themselves on this idea that we want to know what God has to say, and then we want to get to know each other. We want to invest in each other. We want to have friendships with each other. And then finally we're told here that they prayed. They prayed together. They wanted to know God's heart. When I thought about this idea of prayer, prayer is such an issue of maturity in my own life. I've seen this to be true. Uh, As a young Christian, I'm just like a young person. When I come to my father, usually I avoid my father when I was young because I didn't want to be in trouble, right? And so our prayer life, sometimes we treat like we treated our dad when we didn't want to be in trouble, when when we knew we might be in trouble, right? And and if I did go to my dad, I was going to ask him for money so I could get new shoes or get new things. And so dad became the genie, became the bank, became the possibility of me getting what I wanted and needed. But as I matured as a human and I got out of middle school and I got out of high school and man, high school, I avoided mom and dad. Like I didn't, they're not my parents. (laughs) But I matured and then there was a point when I got married and had kids, you know what I started to do? 
I started to go, Dad, what do you think about this? What did you do with this? How did you deal with that? Dad, can you give me some wisdom on money? Can you give me some wisdom on relationships? I started to go to my dad because I understood he would have wisdom, discernment, and understanding to help me. And I think the same thing is true with prayer, right? We kind of start out with, God, please fix this, solve that, do this for me. God, make sure, or I'm not going to pray because if I start praying, I'm going to feel guilty about all the stuff I'm doing, and I don't want to be in trouble. And you see how prayer, as we mature in our lives, and we mature in our spiritual walk, that this becomes part of their whole life as they're going to God, not because they're asking him to do stuff for them, or, or they're afraid of him, they're going to him and saying, please show us, please give us wisdom, please give us discernment, please help us to understand. It's relational, it's turning off the TV and looking someone in the eye and say, I wanna know what you think. I wanna know what your wisdom is. And that's what prayer becomes. It's what prayer was for these people. It was, let's listen to God. Let's know God. Let's have relationship with God. Let's hear his heart because his heart is pure. His heart is just. His heart is holy. And I want to know these things. I want to understand these things. And so a group of people, they're on mission together to share this good news, are praying together this way. God, give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Help us to know your will so we can live your will. Next, we see in verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You know, the worst rap the church has is we're all about money, right? That's the worst rap. But the truth of the matter is, in the very beginning, they said money is not our priority. Money is not the most important. Money is a tool given to us by God to share his love and to share his, his gospel with the world. Money is a tool that can be used to love people and, and, and show them God's grace and show them God's mercy and to share the good news that he has died for them, he has rose for them, and he is inviting them into his home to live with him eternally. That, that they understood that. And so everything in their life was prioritized. That, that the mission is most important. My devotion of my time is to God. The devotion of my money is to God. And his mission, which is to share this good news with every person on the planet and so they were devoted not just one or two but the whole group was devoted and they said if I got to sell my house if I got to sell my stuff and it's going to benefit someone because that's the the good news is that they can hear the good news and and their needs can be filled and the poor can have something to eat and clothes to wear then that's my mission that's my priority do you know what the sad thing is in evangelical Christianity, we give around 1% or less, less than 1% of what we earn do we give to any kind of mission, regardless of church or anything. That means we are spending 99% of our money on ourselves. In the United States of America, we are spending 99% of what we earn, we spend on us. That wasn't the first church. The first church said, I will, my priority is, well, it's not mine, it's yours. And if it can be used in this way, then you use it. Because what, I'm, what I can do alone, what I can do alone is not what you can do. You can do beyond anything I can dream or imagine. 
And so I want to trust you with it. I want to trust you. Uh, and they trusted. That's what the first church did. They trusted. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day they gathered. Now, a year ago in November, I was in these temple courts in Jerusalem. Um, some scholars, some historians say that about 50,000 people could comfortably fit in this area and could have this kind of temple court interaction. What they did in the temple court is they read scripture and they sang songs and they, and they heard uh, people share about what God was teaching them. Basically, they gathered large. They did what we're doing in the temple court. And you didn't sit down back then, you stood up. And so everyone stood up in the temple courts. You know, there's scholars that believe that there could have been as many as 100,000 members of this church, 100,000 members of the Jerusalem church at this time. There was only 200,000 people who lived in Jerusalem. That means half of the people were gathering in the temple to hear this message. Why? Why would they gather in the temple? Why were they gathering in the temple like this? Because they had a public message that they wanted people to hear. They wanted the people to hear that you're not under the law anymore. You're not under any of this scrutiny. You have freedom in Christ. You have freedom. And they wanted to be heard and they wanted to hear songs about it and they wanted to hear messages. The gospel, the good news. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer condemned. You are freed in Christ. And so they would gather large and they would gather every day and they would say this and they would share this. And that was what they did. That was their routine. So they gathered in these large areas so they could share this great news. And then what did they do after that? They would break bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They would gather large in these large areas to share this great news, to share with everyone because everyone should be welcomed. Everyone should be included in this. And then they would go to each other's homes and break bread together so that they could connect with each other in small, intimate places. Places where I can look you in the face and I can know your name and I can know your story and you can know my story. You can go to Chick-fil-A and sit at a table and pray about your, your family together. And they know your family because you share about your family every time you meet. Because you don't just know the person who's sitting down the row from you. You've seen them once or twice. You could recognize them if you saw them at the store. But you really don't know their story. And so they gathered large like this. But then they connected small. So that they could know each other. And they could grow with each other. And they can be blessed. This was the strategy. This was the model. This is what the church did when it started. This is how it worked. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. For those mathematicians, what does that give us? The least amount of people that would join in a year is how many? If he added to them daily, how many in a year? 365. We got some great mathematicians. <laughs> now, we don't know how many he added to daily. He could have added 10 a day. He could add 100 a day. We don't know what that number is. But here's the beauty of it. It was happening all the time. People were gathering and, and connecting and gathering and connecting. People were building life together. People were welcomed in. You didn't have to have the right clothes. You didn't have to have the right people. You didn't have to have the right job. You didn't have to be in the right stratus of social uh, level. Everybody's welcomed in. And everyone's coming in. 
And it was growing and it was growing and it was growing to the point where we see later in Acts that it was such a large group of people gathering and doing this that they couldn't even number it. And God was blessing it because it wasn't about, you know, some product. It wasn't about a person other than Christ. It was about the fact that we have good news and, and this good news is for everybody and we want to grow in this good news. We want to study this good news and we want to share this good news. And so we are, we're gathering in these large groups to declare it and we're, we're connecting in these small groups to live it and to know it and to be nurtured in it. And so that brings me to us. 2020. What does God want us to do in this church, at this place, this church that's on mission, this, this group of people that desire the world to know of the good news of Christ, that they can, they can be saved. Not only can be saved, they can have life and have it more abundantly and that God wants to live every day of your life with you in relationship. And so the vision is this. We want to be disciples who make disciples of all generations. That's what they were doing back then. That's what we want to do today. I got to be a disciple. I can't preach to you and teach you stuff and then walk away and it not be true of me. You can't get in your group or in your Sunday school class or, or wherever you are known and say one thing and do another, Right? No one's going to believe in this world that we have hope in Christ if they don't see Christ's hope in us. So then I become a reflection of him. So I become a disciple. If Jesus was me, what would he look like? If he had my parents, if he had my finances, if he had my family, what would he be, look, what would he be like? That's what a disciple is. If Jesus was you, what would he look like? What would he be like? And so I need to be a disciple but I can't just be a disciple. I have to want to make more disciples because this isn't just for me. This is for my kids. This is for my neighbors. This is for everyone I've ever met, ever. And so I want to make disciples. And I don't want to make just teenage disciples. I don't want to make just college-age disciples. I don't want to make people that are in retirement just that group disciples. We want to be a church that is representation of everyone from when they're born to when they're about to meet God. Right? Right? that there is a place for every generation to be a disciple here at Gaten. That every generation is valued and every generation is accepted in to being part of us following, being disciples, being students of Christ so that we can be like him. How are we gonna do this? Over the next few weeks, we're gonna dive into this and say, how can you specifically do this? But on a bigger picture, here's what it is. We're gonna gather large in these rooms. We're gonna declare this good news. We're gonna sing about this good news. We're gonna give people opportunity to receive this good news. And then we're gonna connect small. And we're gonna study this good news. And we're gonna build relationships with those that are in our lives, that God puts in our lives. And we're gonna invite people into those those small places, those homes, those Panera Breads, those Chick-fil-A's, those places where we connect small, where you know me, I know you, I pray for you, you pray for me, you hold me accountable, I hold you accountable. We walk through life together. And we fill this place for the glory of God 
so that we can overflow into the place God has put us, the West End, so that all may know the good news. Now, will everyone receive the good news? That's up to them. But we want to share it. We want to invite people to it. And what do we want to be devoted to? We want to be devoted to knowing Jesus, knowing each other, and the world knowing the love of God. So here it is. This morning, when you closed your eyes and you thought about what you're wired for, when you thought about what you were wired for, could it be possible? Could it be possible that God wired you that way because he wants to connect you into his mission? We need nurturers in this church to care for people's needs. We need creative people in this church so that we can share the gospel in new ways. We need guardians in this church to protect the truth of scripture so we don't lose it. We need connectors in this church that will help us connect with people outside of this church and connect us within this church so we can be healthy and growing. We need pioneers in this church so that we can see five years from now and see where God's leading us. We need you over the next five years to devote yourself, to devote yourself to gathering large, to connecting small, so that we can share this good news with every person that we possibly can. Will you be devoted to that? The first church was devoted to it and we're here today because of their devotion. We are here in this room because of their devotion. Who's coming after us that our devotion will, inf will either invite in or push away? Who's coming after us that will impact the devotion of those who come after us? That's why we come to this table to remember what this is all about. I'd invite the deacons up as we begin to consider what this mission is really all about. The mission started with Christ dying on the cross. It started with him laying himself down. That is what we declare in this gathering. Is this good news? That though I am guilty in sin, though I am a slave to sin, though I should be condemned forever, I am not because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And when he allowed his body to be broken and he allowed his blood to be shed and he allowed himself to die on that cross, he brought the good news to the world that now, any man, woman, and child can be saved. They can be invited into the Father's home to live eternally. So as we come to the table, let us look within and let us consider what does this really mean to me? And so for a moment, if you'd close your eyes, focus your heart,